You're listening to the State of Love and Trust, a Pearl Jam podcast. Follow the show on social media and remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice. Now, here's Jason and Paul. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the State of Love and Trust. It's a Pearl Jam podcast, and I'm one of your two hosts, Jason Carapesi, and alongside me, as always, is... Paul Gillieri. Paul, I want you to know that um, you're going to need to settle in for this one. Hold on. Let me get my... uh... Okay, something tells me the beat will carry on in this episode. Oh, look at you. Was that a segue? Paul Paul has is proving that he his attendance of our production meetings is is, is true. Um, we don't really have production meetings. Um, hello, welcome. Uh, if, if anybody is new, this is Jason and Paul talking Pearl Jam, and um, we I would like you to feed the algorithm by rating, look, reviewing, and subscribing to this podcast on your local platform. You know what? I'm so glad that you said that because I wanted to start this episode off with I wanted to start this episode off with a couple of reviews. That were on um, the Apple Podcast platform All right. that I had missed. So I want to read a couple of them here. The first one here uh, from May eighth. Uh, I can't even I can't pronounce this because it's just a gobbledygook of letters. It's O O W I E J D J X J D. I don't know what that means. Ooh J D. Yeah, that's what I got. Uh, from L A Night Two. I met you in merch line. I was talking about what I thought they would play. And then they played so many of the tunes. Amazing. Hope you loved it. Glorify G exclamation point times five. Crazy. Thanks. Whoever yeah. of the show <laughs> or That's okay. prognostication, then <laughs> the show, but I'll take it. Uh, and then the other one from March 9th, Harper nine, two, two, um, both of these five star, by the way. Thank you very much, guys. Hey, uh, the guys really do a good job planning out episodes and going into great depth. I really enjoy that we don't agree on some things. Seven o'clock is the greatest word salad ever, by the way. And no code is an amazing album, that's why I enjoy it. Gives me a perspective I don't always see since I love some quote unquote dad punk, although I refer to it as quote unquote punk jam. Keep up the good work, algorithm fed. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> So I wanted to read those. Um, again, if you guys want to leave a review, we will read it on the air. So say whatever the hell you want to say, and we will yeah. read it. Uh, like, literally, you got to feed that thing for us. It's like that scene in Tremors, you know? If, if it's not fed, the Who earth starts rumbling. What year is this? Ah, that's fine. I don't know. <laughs> you know, sometimes our, our references are just a bit too dated. They are. Have you guys seen Tremors? I feel like I was like 13 when Tremors came out. Hey. It is an outstanding metaphor for oh, this boy. analogy that I'm trying to make here. Okay. All right. <laughs> Guys, we have uh, bullshitted you enough for the first few minutes. This is a very packed episode. Yeah. Let's, let's dive in. To, this is basically a drummer episode. If you don't like drumming, you may not care too much for this episode. But if you do, you will like it. Now, uh, the last episode we did, we spoke about top five songs that we have not seen that we really want to in order of want mine was WMA as it goes. 
we decided to record that episode a couple of days earlier than we usually do. And as it happens, as we were recording the album, the band played that damn song <laughs> in, yeah. uh, in Oakland, night two. So when we launched the episode last week, y'all were like, um, they played it finally. And so that continuity wise, it didn't work out. But here we are now to, to respond to that. They finally played WMA. It's outstanding. And sadly, we did not have Matt Cameron at the kit for this particular track. What we did get, though, is Rich doing an outstanding Dave impersonation because the drumming on that performance, to me, was it was phenomenal. I mean, it, 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 it felt like a complete throwback. And, uh, and I missed it. I missed that sound. I really, really did. I'd, I would love to hear it live. The band was super new, too. For me, it, it was everything I'd want from a new version of the song. I, I think that he, Rich Duverud, essentially did the version of the Dave A beat. Yeah. But he added his own little flourishes and he switched up the verses a bit, something a little bit more traditional, and then went back into the, you know, the, the beat that we're all accustomed to. By the way, for all you drum nerds out there, and the video does exist out there on YouTube, you may notice one thing. I, th- I believe, I, mean, I could be wrong. The snare was on during oh. the beat. The little the little chains. The snare was on as opposed to off on the album. Drum nerd alert. Anyways, uh, I think that it was a fantastic updated version. The, the, the one that I had been looking for that I was yeah. talking about on last week's episode. And that's exactly what I would have wanted. Um, I thought Josh and Rich playing off each other at the end was really, really cool. Mike was kind of going nuts throughout. Um, and that was kind of a, a, a new ish feature that I liked about the song and Ed sounded really, really good. So I think it overall is a great performance. Um, which kind of segues us into just the overall Josh and rich filling in for Matt, um, both nights in Oakland and Fresno. Um, I don't know about you, but I can't wait to hear the boots to truly hear how the boys filled in for Matt. Yeah. I mean, these are two, I actually would love to buy just because I think they're novelty shows at this point in time. Matt Cameron has been touring with them for so long that to hear two full shows without him sitting up there at the kit is it's going to be really interesting. And we talked about this last episode where we, you know, we were wondering, are, are we going to hear a dance of the clear voice? Are there just certain songs that they're just going to strike from the set list at this point in time? Just no go from the catalog until we get Matt back. So I'll be very, very fascinated to, to give those things a listen. Excited about it. Yeah, I think the only... We're turning lemons into lemonade here, Jason. We, 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 well, they, they did. We, uh, we're just reacting. You know, it's, it's, um, I think it was pretty obvious they wouldn't play too much Gigaton. Right. Uh, I think they played Quick Escape with rich and they played super blood i think with him as well if i'm not mistaken i'll have to go back and check my stats to be sure um but it was more of your general greatest hits kind of thing with a couple of surprises thrown in there um i I think they did an admirable job and it was really cool to to uh omaha omaha hot route it you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, at the last minute there and, and, and everybody who had tickets to Oakland, you got a treat, you got a real treat. And I think the ultimate treat, the cherry on the, on the pie here, you put cherries on pies or cherries on cakes. Uh, 
why are you asking me questions like that? I don't know. I can't, I can't reference Tremors, but you're talking like strawberry shortcake over here. Get Listen to, to it. <laughs> D- dessert is timeless. <laughs> At any rate, the last uh, stop on the tour, the abrupt ending, uh, which we'll get to in a second, was Fresno at the Save Mart Center. And funnily enough, before the tour even started, like two years ago when they announced dates, um, you know, I was thinking, like, yeah, if I could go to a third, it'd probably be San Diego, but eh, so I didn't buy any, I didn't buy a third. And then when they announced the new dates and they added a couple new um, new locations, I believe Fresno was one of those. And I was like, oh man, Fresno, three hours away. Mm. And I didn't pull the trigger. I was like, ah, it's fine. Two two shows is fine. I'll get I'll probably get slaughtered by the wife if I if I try and get another another show. And um, well, I probably should have pulled the trigger yeah. and faced the consequences later because not only did Rich and Josh fill in, but uh, Dave Cruson made his return to the band after 31 years, of course, striking the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and right. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony. Do you exclude that? 31 years since he played live with the guys, and they played nine of the 11 songs. From ten, excluding yeah, again, a must-have boot at this point in time. Holy shit! Paul. I saw the version that you sent me of once, and it was just it, you're just watching him back there. It there's something Eddie's voice just seemed rejuvenated in that performance too. I don't know what it is. There's just something about having Dave back there in the state that he's in now. You know, seemingly like really happy and healthy and just in a great place. And to be, and Eddie mentioned that in the clip, you know, he said, uh, we didn't get a chance to really tour too much with Dave and we're making up for lost time. So I think that they really had a lot of fun with him back there. And and this is the Pearl Jam that we never saw. You know what I mean? It's the Pearl Jam we fell in love with, but never saw. So I, uh, man, yeah, we, we, I would (laughs) have, that was a show to go to right there. That's somebody already iconic just for that. I feel like somebody has the stats on, how many shows Dave actually did play with them? It couldn't have been more than like 50, you know, in the, in the early days before, before he left and Matt Chamberlain came in. And then of course, Dave and Brazis. But um, I think, yeah, you mentioned that, that, that before they even started the first song with Dave, which was once um, just a very nice message from Eddie, acknowledging all of the great drummers that the band has had um, though. I, and uh, I think many, would have loved some sort of reconciliation with Dave Eprazis. If not now, then when? I know. I guess I, I we're never going to get that. Um, I don't know if if that's ever going to happen. There's just something about the uh, the mentality. I think you know what I mean. Yeah. There was this constant friction. I think with Ed, and, and I don't know if that ever truly got resolved i think you know if anything the the man eddie was becoming in a lot of ways at that time he seemed to have doubled down on a lot of those principles and uh you know i don't know where dave's at but um my gut says we're never gonna see that again so yeah i'm with with you I'm, i'm i'm not betting on it um I think this was the opportunity i well no that's not true i think the opportunity was in 2017 at the hall of fame and when he was not included in that, Dave Cruson was, um, it just felt like, all right, this is probably not going to happen. Um, and whatever the reasons are, they are those guys' reasons. We can't judge because we don't know truly what's going on. But well, we got Dave, though. And I, I mean, Dave left. Oh, of course. No, nothing. Dave nothing. Cruson left Pearl Jam in May of 1991. 
Yeah. Not, I mean, how many shows did they do? That's what I'm saying. It could have been more than 50. Well, I, I, I kind of want around. Actually, uh, I think I got I mean, it, if you could uh, do a quick, yeah, quick um, live footsteps.org kind of, um, you know, just scrolling and counting, you'll probably get to around 50. It's my guess. But a um, couple more notes from me from that show. I think one of the cool things about all these 10 songs is they were they were as close to the album as I've ever heard. And for obvious reasons, I mean, Dave Cruzen is playing the damn drums and he's still plays the songs like he did on the record. It's pretty incredible um, from a sonic perspective to rehear those songs we've heard a million times, but in a live setting. And I'm going to bet most of you out there and most fans never saw these songs played with Dave Cruzen to, to our point about, I don't know, maybe 50 songs with the band in 90, 91. I mean, if you if you saw them play with Dave Cruzen, then... 22 shows. Two. How many? 22 20. shows. So Because March 8th, they did an unknown set, in, unknown in Seattle. <clears throat> that was the March 1st was the off-ramp. March 8th was unknown Seattle. And then the next show wasn't until m- m- May 15th because they, they didn't have a drummer. So, so you're May talking 15th. October 90 to May 91 is 22 yeah. shows? Mm-hmm. Wow. October so, 22nd. And th- this was a chance. This was a chance to, to be in a time capsule. Um, yeah. And I know we're talking about Dave Cruzen here, and rightfully so, because this is, this, this, this is why this Fresno show was so incredible. But the Mike solo on Evenflow is one of my favorites for a long while. It was incredibly fun. I don't know if he was feeling it too, the way I felt yeah. just watching them. Uh, I think Black was right in the pocket. Mm-hmm. It's not really a drum song but it felt as comfortable as ever. Yeah. I mean, as a, as a huge black fan, how did you feel? I loved it. It's a favorite look, song. I mean, it is. And I, I do drum to that. I do drum <laughs> to that song. And, and I think it's an underrated drum track actually. And um, there's some fantastic fills at the tail end there. There's only one song that I think is as epic at the end that actually tops it when it comes to the inclusion of drums. It's just a driving force which I'll get to later in this episode, but Ooh, good tease. Uh, th- th- it's a special, special song for me, obviously. And, and how about drums this? Play an important role. You talk about air drumming or drumming in your steering wheel as li- all of us, you guys know you're all drumming to on, on the, on the countertop, on your desk at school, on the back of the chair, on the bus, on, you know, the steering, whatever the hell it is. And so we're all air drumming along. We all know all the fills and we all know where the, all the cymbal crashes are and all that stuff. And you're playing, to Dave, right? So you think about these shows, and I can't wait for the boots to come out. The San Diego boot just came out a, a day before um, we we're recording this. And when the Oakland boots, I'm sorry, when the Fresno boot comes out, to be able to hear that in, in a way we haven't heard before, you're going to be air drumming to the same thing that Dave has been playing all these years. Yeah. And finally, it's in, it's in a live setting. Like that's kind of in a very obviously nerdy way, mind blowing. No, it, it, it's a truly special show. I'm telling you, it, it is a must have boot. Just the sheer fact that you had Dave Cruson sitting on the drums playing the vast majority of 10 with the band. Do you think, uh, let me ask you this. Hold on. We talk about, you know, back in 2000 or 2001, whenever it was when the band had like 72 albums on the billboard top, top 200, because they were starting to release all these boots. Is there a chance that, us crazy, we crazy. Um, you're the English teacher. I don't know. Uh, crazy uh, Pearl Jam fans would go out and buy this boot 
in such a full force that it might get on the, the billboard? Well, I'm going to give you two answers. The first is it's we, because <laughs> we is a subject pronoun, whereas us is an object pronoun. Okay, I just got to get that out of the way first. Second of all, okay. it is not inconceivable that there could be enough fans that could drive this up. This is not like... Um, you know, when they did Moline and some of these other shows where they just mm. basically played a full album all the way through. I think that there was a novelty to that too. Uh, but when they did Moline, was Jack on the drum set? No, you know what I mean? So yeah. I, there's something really, really special. As a matter of fact, we're going to single-handedly play an influential role in making sure that this album so. cracks the Billboard top. And I know top purchasing shows, so. albums in whatever format you want is, is uh, not the most popular way to listen to music these days. But you know what? Maybe we can push it through. Maybe. Regardless. Maybe we, uh, maybe that maybe this is something that we could potentially, uh, I don't know, maybe maybe sneak in as a reward for a special group of listeners one of these days. Oh, I don't know. I see where you're going with this. Yeah. Mm, okay. Um, a couple more notes I had before we move on. Uh, I thought Jeremy had some sauce on it. It was. It sounded yeah. like there was some familiarity. That had been lost. And let's be clear, in no way has Matt or anyone else not crushed this song the hundreds of times it's been played before. But I don't know what it was. Maybe it was the crowd, what they were giving yeah. back to the band on this one. It just felt a little bit different. And it, it, it fantastic version of the song. I thought Deep was amazing. Yeah. Dave was going a little nutty, letting loose at the end of this one, and which you love to see. It looked to me like he was finally 100% comfortable being there. Yeah. And uh, this was a song I had not heard off 10. So if yeah. we had gone to the show, the amount of boxes we could check off. <laughs> so many boxes. <laughs> tick, 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 tick. So I, I felt that he was, um, he was really dialed in at this point. Um, and just smiles all around. I think yeah. the band was really enjoying themselves to this point. And, you know, it, it, it ended up being, you know, alive and then Baba and then yell better. And that was the tour because then our boy, Jeff, got the COVID and they had to pull the plug on Sacramento and Vegas. And I know a lot of you out there, including our friends from other podcasts were, were traveling for this. And uh, of course did not get to go see our, our favorite band. So, you know um, that sucks. And I'm sorry for you guys that had to, yeah. that were traveling. I know somebody reached out to us that who was flying from, uh, from Australia went to the Fresno show, was going to go to Sacramento and Vegas, or maybe, maybe it was just Vegas. And then, you know, the, 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 the plug was pulled. So they went, they went back all the way, the, the 6,000 miles or whatever it is with only one show, but Hey, hey it was one epic show. So there's that. Oh, yeah. Um, some of you guys are going to, to uh, pink pop. That's June 18th, it's only a few weeks away. So hopefully everybody's cool by then. And it's all gravy. Um, before we get into the main topic of this episode which by the way is our top five favorite drum performances so songs that uh we felt had the had our favorite drum performances that's the that's the main topic tonight i want to focus on on one thing real quick and i don't want to go too far down because we're not a foo fighters podcast but our favorite drummer matt cameron was quoted in an article in rolling stone uh a very long article detailing the untimely death of taylor hawkins and you guys probably saw matt cameron uh, on his instagram talk about how he expressed regret and apologies to 
his Foo Fighters friends for his quotes, um, according to him being taken out of context. I read the whole article. Um, mm-hmm. Paul, I think believe you read the whole thing a as long well. One. Yeah. What do you um, what do you make of? Uh, I mean, the the article is take that for what it is. How do you feel from a Pearl Jam perspective? Um, how do you think Matt's feeling um, in this situation? I, I think he's feeling frustrated. Uh, you know, there, there's nothing worse than contributing to something that, you know, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase him. He felt like he was contributing to what should be a celebration of Taylor, mm-hmm. Taylor's life and, and his contributions. And, uh, uh, you know, he, he basically said a lot of what he said was misconstrued or taken out of context and instead put to use to serve a very different agenda, which is, which ultimately painted a picture of, uh, of Taylor as, as a, a victim, someone who was pit, you know, caged in or pinned down into yeah. having to, to play himself basically to death uh, at the behest of, of a very demanding Dave Grohl. And uh, look, I have zero um, insight into this as, as far as knowing any, any real background information or, or we have no sources on any of this whatsoever. So, uh, you know, by all accounts, any insinuations that, that Taylor needed to slow down or wanted out or, or, you know, wanted to tour less that the Foo Fighters camp has rejected all those notions and said that had not been communicated. Um, I think that, you know, when you read the article, it, it's controversial though. It comes across yeah. like Matt Cameron's basically saying, like he, he just couldn't hang anymore. He could not work at this frenetic pace. And there was this exceptional overwhelming pressure to continue to do that because he was a cog in the great machine that is the Foo Fighters and, you know, playing less was not negotiable. Um, I don't know. I, I, it, it's hard. You know, Matt says that he felt like a lot of what he was saying was taken out of context. I, I wish I understood the con. I, 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 it'd be nice if he would provide that context because when I read the article, I, I had difficulty parsing out what Matt was trying to say versus what was communicated in the article. And in his defense, I'd love him to have the, the, the opportunity, the platform to be able to say to readers and listeners, Hey, this is what I, what I communicated. And it was, I, you know, ultimately I, I said what I said in the service of this. Mm-hmm. Um, but absent that, you know, absent a, a more detailed statement from him, uh, there's just way too much conjecture, which is unfortunate because I think that it's, it's hard for people to, I don't want to say give him the benefit of the doubt, but it, it's hard for people to see what he wanted them to see from his inclusion in the article because he's not willing to take a step forward and provide more. Um, but I completely understand and respect the frustration and, and the desire to pull back. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, I don't know where things are at with Dave. I mean, I mentioned this to you beforehand about this article, you know, I, I've always felt like there was, there was, there wasn't this great synergy with Pearl Jam and, and Dave Grohl, like there was with, with other, you know, a Jerry Cantrell and, and Cornell and all the, these other figures of the time. And I, I've always wondered if, if there had been some sort of uh, blockage there. I don't know what it is, but um I just never felt like Dave was as uh, in sync or, or I don't want to say cool with the guys, but it seems it seems weird too because how close Ed and, and 
uh, Matt and I think most of the guys in Pearl Jam were to Taylor and Taylor by, by Dave's admission from his own book and in other articles, that was like his brother. Like they were best friends yeah, they since were. like they joined the band. Uh-huh. And he, he, he asked Taylor to join from Honest Morissette's band back in like 97, 98 and they were inseparable. Um, so some things don't really add up, right? Like why would there be a, a disconnect, um, a difference of stories, um, between Dave and Taylor, according to, as far as the touring schedule or the intensity of it. And, and, um, that, that just seems strange that they wouldn't be in sync. And at the same time, um, I have to imagine that right now, what and by the way, we can't ignore Chad Smith, another great friend who apparently was in tears um, trying to talk about his friend. Presumably, in the, thinking it'd be it, the quotes would be taken the way that Matt thought they'd be taken, and they both were taken different ways than those guys. Yeah, well, I mean, apparently they were all friends, though. I mean, that's the thing. You know, there's, so, there's the yeah. My, my, did you read the American Songwriter? No. Uh, so that this this came out. Gosh, I don't remember the date that this came out. I, I'd have to look it up, but uh, it was in promotion for Studio Sixty Six, mm-hmm. and there, there's a scene in there where they all kind of do like uh, the Pearl Jam high five. Oh yeah, and, and Dave said that was an improv moment. There, uh, that was not in the script. It just kind of happened. It was just a silly moment in one of the takes. It was an improv moment. Then we actually brought it back for another scene, of course, in reference to the great Pearl Jam debut ten, with all them high fiving on the cover. We're gonna have to answer for that. And then Taylor joined in and said, you know, we're all dear friends with all of them. So I, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like to, to some degree, like those guys all were tight, but um, maybe they're just so driven on their own past that we, we don't see that, you know, maybe they keep some of that very, very private. It's um, possible, but I mean, I have to imagine you know, we, we got the statement from Matt. We, I think we got one, one from Chad as well. My guess is that those guys are talking to what we uh, uh, assume to be their friends in Foo Fighters. And they're trying to, I, I imagine behind the scenes, try to come to some sort of understanding. Yeah. And it's obviously very hard for the guys in Foo, Foo Fighters to, to figure life out right now without their brother. So I'm, I'm going to guess there's going to be some radio silence for a while. In regards to this, so those guys can sort whatever needs to be sorted, and I'm sure that they will if they are the friends that we all think that they are, yeah. at least with Taylor for sure. And I think the context that we wish we would get, which by the way we're not we're not meant to have, we're not we're not no, nor do we deserve, have. quite frankly. Um, but if there were context at some point given, I think it'll be some time from now, and I think you know. Um, there's always the truth is always somewhere amongst the gray. Um, yeah. So we don't know if Taylor felt like he was worn down. He, he probably was exhausted, but he at the same time was also like, this is my, this is my guy. This is my brother, Dave. And you know, I want to be there for him. And there's something probably in that world. And it just didn't just, he had an enlarged heart and it wasn't, it wasn't yeah. like a medical, it wasn't like a, like a bad thing. I guess it was, according to his doctors, it was a, uh, well, according to his article, according to his doctors, it was just from being so active. Um, but, you know, speculation, speculation, speculation. The point is, is that we feel really bad for, obviously, the whole Foo Fighters family, for Taylor's family, 
um, for Matt and Chad for feeling this way. And we hope there's some sort of resolution for the guys um, from a, um, from a private point of view so that um, everyone can kind of move on in the best way possible, but just a, an awkward situation to say the least. Yeah. Hey, it's unfortunate, you know, um, yeah. RIP to Taylor and uh, you know, all, all we can say is that glad Matt was able to kind of speak out and say, Hey, for the record, this, this was taken out of context. And, and if that's all we ever get, then we don't need to dwell on it much more. You know, hopefully they just, hopefully everybody who deserves to find peace behind the scenes within those two bands does. Yeah. Simple as that. All right. Let's get to the main topic here. It is, like I said, top five songs drum performance wise. What are your favorite five drum performances? Oh, baby. We've got multiple drummers to choose from. We got 11 albums to choose from. I I have a short list here of like, what is this? 20 songs that it was so hard to choose from. Yeah. Literally from every album as well. I was like, Oh, that one, that one, that one. And probably songs you'd be like, really? But they're there. Uh, uh, do you want to go first with your fifth? Yeah, I'm going to go first. I'm going to go right. sleight of hand. No kidding. Okay. Talk yeah. I, I, it, it's a song that I've always loved the, uh, the composition. I always, the production I thought was uh, really trippy and kind of took me somewhere new. You know me. I love when they go outside the box. Mm-hmm. And I, I felt that the, the timing it's like a five-four timing or something in places. I'm not really. It, it's uh, it, it's first of all, it's hard. It's hard to drum to actually. If you if you oh, ever get it to, yeah, it's really <laughs> difficult. And uh, I think I, I like that. There was something awkward and, and off off the beaten path about it. And uh, to me, that was very much kind of. It, it, it felt like this ushering into what Matt Cameron was going to bring to the band in ways that were unique and surprising. And uh, to this day, uh, it's still one of my my favorite Pearl Jam songs. That, 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 that again, that kind of fit that that bucket of unique and different, you know, less conventional Pearl Jam. Um, Interesting. Yeah, that, that's a that's a good shout because of how Matt that drum pattern is. It's quintessential Matt Cameron on on so many levels for me, and I I can't imagine that song with a different. Drummer. Yeah, yeah. So I don't like the song, but I like the choice. Yeah. Fair <laughs> enough. Uh, my fifth is going to be in my tree. This is ultimate Jack Irons for me. Um, it's just so different than any other Pearl Jam song uh, from a drum perspective. It actually has some, hear me out, hot for teacher vibes. Ah. The little triplets that he's doing, I, I, th- I feel like it's definitely in that it has a little of that flavor too let's just put it that way it'd be it'd be easy for this song to have a much more stock beat considering kind of the um how simple the chord structure is once the guitars come in and but the beat really propels you kind of like we're all finding our way out of the craziness into the into the the welcome solitude that ed sings about so i think because of how unique it is and how much it fits the mood of the song um, and sets it apart uh, in my tree is a, an easy choice for me at number five. Solid choice. I like it. Going to four. What do you got? Uh, I'm going to go with who you are. Oh, probably similar reasons. I would imagine similar reasons. Yeah. Just that eclectic world beat 
as soon as I heard it, um, fell in love with that song, and, and I, I just remember thinking to myself, "Well, this is different. You know, this, this is this is going to be interesting uh, as an album." I think sometimes kind of lulled me in. And uh, Hail Hail at the time, actually, I wasn't a big fan of the, the whole garage rock detour that the band took, and uh, so I, I wasn't really sure what to expect of No Code at that point in time. You know, I, I don't want to say I was largely underwhelmed, but I, I was uh, confused, to say the least. <laughs> and, and I think that uh, Who You Are was uh, the first song I had heard from the band that really made me feel like they could really go on, on in, in any direction, quite frankly. And I was willing to go with them because I felt that there's going to be something interesting and surprising and unique. You know, that there's a pot of gold, my friend, I was just gonna at say. the end of the rainbow. Yeah, and uh, and it's influenced. I think that song has influenced the way I approach Pearl Jam ever since. So interesting. I'm, I'm going to mention a song uh, a little bit later that uh, I think is almost well. We'll see. Uh, my number four song is Why Go. Oh, I struggled. I struggled between this one and Animal because they're basically the same beat. If you go back and listen to them, they're almost the exact same beat, like the, the kick drum pattern, the whole thing. And while there's an aggression and intensity on David Perzis's Animal that isn't there on Cruisin's Why Go, this is the original of the two. And the way that it starts off the song two is the winner for me on top of that i feel like of any song off of 10 this is the one that bridges to what they were going to do on versus the most it's that raw direct drumming style um it's just one of the reasons why i fell in love with the band and it, it's dave prusen who initiated that so why go number four outstanding what do you got a three i'm going with in my tree okay uh yeah i mean I, Two no There's something I know, I know, but th these two just back to back with, were special for me at the time. You know, it's funny. Jack actually dropped something I think on, on his social media not too long ago, and uh, he talked about "In My Tree," and it's a it's a clip of him playing "In My Tree" as really? like a warm up. <laughs> yeah, it was a a, re a Facebook video where he's warming up to the drum beat of "In of In My Tree," and he said. On his Instagram, he said, In My Tree was a studio creation, very sound dependent, unusual drum setup, different rooms and multi-kit tracking really influenced how it came to be rather than a performance or drumming to a song. Thanks to the Beatles' Get Back movie and being re-inspired by the sound of towels on drums, I was able to capture a sound that could work for a home recreation of In My Tree. Little <laughs> ad-libbing of parts and spicing up the recording. By the way, this ad-libbing that he has on here, outstanding, really, really cool. Matter of fact, uh, highly recommend anybody check it out. Maybe we can in the show notes or uh, social media. We'll, sure, we'll, we'll go ahead and, and, we'll and share you. that. I think. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but that that particular pattern, it's I just think it's it's one of the best drum patterns uh, that we've ever heard in the Pearl Jam catalog. It's 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 just a fantastic, really really engaging. It's 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 a hook. It's a percussion hook. It really is, and it just drags you into the song. And uh, the way that it, it crescendos towards the end, I think, the way that mm. it's so strategic, the way that he brings those symbols in, just a fantastic drumming pattern. Big fan of it. You said drags, I said propels. Either mm. way, it's moving us mm -hmm. through the song. Jack Irons. Uh, my third choice, I'm, I'm curious to see what you think about this one. Grievance. Ooh. 
totally Matt Cameron. Um, and for a lot of the same reasons you chose Sleight of Hand, I think. There, he has this tom work. He has some hi-hat flourishes. He changes the ride in the chorus. He goes back. The dynamics... A roll at the beginning, too. Doom, 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 yeah, to, to bring doom, us in. It's yeah. Oh, my God. We're the solid choice. So it, it, the dynamics in the song are fantastic and, and take what's a somewhat straightforward Ed song and made it far more interesting for me. If you go back, by the way, and watch this song on Letterman back in 2000, you just watch Matt and you'll see why I've chosen this song. It's always felt like Matt's chance to show what he could do on a record. Um, it, obviously, it's, it being his first record, it, what happens in Sleight of Hand, even on other songs like God's Dice or um, Break or Fall, or even some of the outtakes from the album that we love so much, he does his thing. But I feel like here it's a little bit more forward than some of those other songs. Um, I always have, always have loved the song as well, especially the outros. I think it's fantastic, but it just feels like it's, it's, a, it's a Matt Cameron spotlight song to me. Yeah. So you you could argue that songs like God's Dice and um, and Grievance that that Matt Cameron's drumming literally makes them. Mm-hmm. And that's not a slight on, on the other band members, but I can't imagine a different drumming pattern to those songs. And if anything, I think that part of what elevates them is because of Matt's contribution. So, solid choice. Number two. Ah, number two for me. You know, this this was a tough one. Uh, I'm going to go with, with Retrograde. <clears throat> oh, wow. Nice. Oh, the yeah, outro. I, I, the, the outro alone. I mean, just it's to me, it's it's as close as we we get to a, a drum solo. Yeah, I mean it, the drum mm-hmm. track alone. I mean he's he's just going crazy. I mean it. it, it you, propel is a perfect word here at this point in time, and, and I you know kind of segued or referenced I should say earlier in the episode to this moment where I said that there's a, a moment in the catalog that is just of epic proportion in terms of the way it, it guides us to this crescendo, and you take Eddie's voice and, and the music and this, this this amazing exalted finish, and Matt's drumming somehow manages to take it and propel us even further into the stratosphere it's uh it's some of the best drumming i've, I've heard on the catalog period and uh i mean he's, he's just he's losing his mind at the end it's just fantastic fantastic stuff to the point where when we saw this song we heard it at ohana mm-hmm. and uh it, that was the part i was most looking forward to was to watch him drum with with eddie just just going after it and uh very very excited to, to have Matt back again soon happy and healthy so that we can get more of that on the tour that was that being his drumming on the on the track when I first listened to Gigaton that was why the end of the song was so fantastic yeah because the soundscape that that Mike and Stone and Jeff created is one thing but to have Matt behind that to, to borrow that term again propelling it made it even more so it was it was a multiplier so it's a special moment in the catalog it really is and and i don't think it's nearly as special without him doing what he's doing so excellent choice excellent choice uh number two for me i'm gonna go back a ways i'm choosing even flow oh but i'm choosing this single version with david oh nice that's a nice nice wrinkle this is dave to a t from the way he changes the beat halfway through the verse to all the little fills he does. 
he he encapsulated his style into one song right here. The, the groove is just fantastic. One of my favorite things about Dave were those little details that he that he would always add. Little rolls on the hi-hat, going for the bell on the ride, the little John Bonham style triplets in the kick drum, using a using a goddamn splash. Who uses splash cymbals anymore? Dave. <laughs> Dave did. Um, the amount of color that Dave would work into a song was tremendous and so rewarding to the listener who appreciates that kind of stuff. And um, that is, of course, no offense to Dave Cruson, who is much more straight-ahead rock drummer, or even the wild, crazy stuff that that Jack uh, and Matt do. But there is just something about Dave on this particular song and this particular recording uh, that I've always really, really enjoyed. Um, you, you listen, you, you find something new over time, for sure. All right, this is it. Number nah, one. for for me, it's WMA. Hey, me it's, too. Let's uh, go. Let's talk about it. Yeah, it's that that tribal drum pattern. It's the, it's just such an amazing repetitive groove that you you, you and that Jeff's bass line giving that um, that anchor. You know, mm-hmm. it's almost like a a metal wire that you just kind of glide across. A musical zip line. It is exactly what it is. And uh it, it, that's it's is it, to me it's this the song most doesn't iconic. exist without this groove. No, that's what I'm saying. Literally this 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 drumming right here is, is basically it is to me it's the most iconic drumming in the catalog. Um it's the most drum centric the most percussion centric song in the catalog um and uh you know it's it's fascinating to think about when you put this song on how many variations we've heard and how each one of them is amazing in their own right but when we heard rich on there playing anything reminiscent of what we heard with dave Mm -hmm. the way it got the juices flowing you know Mm -hmm. i mean it was it was triggering in a very very positive way and so I, I can't help but kind of come to the conclusion that if that's not my subconscious saying to me, <laughs> this this is the you know this is the song, then I don't know what is. So it's uh, it's really hard for me to separate uh, this song from that beat because it's it's impossible. It's it's it is the song. You know what I mean? Uh, you use the word triggered, and how often do we use do we hear someone say triggered, and it isn't a really negative connotation <laughs> and here yeah. it's like ooh I am triggered in the best kind of way and I mean listen okay for anybody who's yelling uh, it was a loop I, I don't care he still played it and it's on the track and it was recreated live multiple times uh, and even so this 18th time with Rich Tuberd so any of you naysayers out there eat shit okay number one he, he makes himself sound like two drummers that's how cool this is. Drumming pattern is significant in that they've only played this song 18 times now in how what 29 years that it's been a, a thing. Um, and I mentioned this earlier, and now I'm going to say it. It opened up Pearl Jam to completely different sounds, or I, or I should say, um, it opened up Pearl Jam's audience to the idea that Pearl Jam might want to play music that wasn't just straight ahead rock and roll. It tipped well, their the, hand. This song is beloved. And the yeah. reality is, if you take his drumming out, there's nothing that special going on with any of the other band members' contributions. I mean, yeah. he is literally the showstopper of this mm-hmm. track. 
And, and I don't, I don't know if I can say that necessarily about any other song in the catalog. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, some of the Jack songs come close. Well, and here, here's the thing: this song was like the, uh, it was the amuse bouche, if you will, to to having music that was drum centric with patterns like this. Like it would have, it would have felt super um, jarring to have a "Who You Are" or an "In My Tree." You know, if we hadn't heard, if we hadn't gotten this taste three, four years prior. So I think it's a very important song for the catalog, for the history of the band, for allowing us to hear uh, a different facet of what they wanted to play. And it just sounds amazing. And, you know, the, the episode kind of comes full circle because how we started with talking about Rich doing a beautiful rendition of. So, yeah, we agree. WMA. Yeah. Best drum performance, our favorite at least. What do you guys think? Did we get it right? Did we get it wrong? Trick question. There is no right or wrong. It's subjective. But I want to know what your five are. Um, a couple of uh, honorable mentions that I have to mention. We did mention God's Dice, which was, was on my list. Um, I mentioned Animal. I think Last Exit is simple but but effective. That piccolo snare is is fantastic. Sad. Um, education in the moonlight. All these Matt Cameron songs are fantastic. Even songs like, um, and we didn't mention Dance of the Clairvoyance, but that Mind Your Manners, Johnny Guitar, even I think had some had some sauce to it. So lots of uh, other songs that I think had a really strong performance. Anything that I that we didn't mention that you want to just give a shout out to? Oh, I mean, again, there, there's so many. You Speed know, what I mean, there's, there's there's a lot of really underrated Matt licks and. Uh, and I would be remiss if, if, if I didn't mention that, but I mean, the five that we contributed, I think are, are pretty darn, pretty darn good. And how about this one last song? Can't keep. Without, oh, without, solid. Without Matt on can't keep that song is the. It's the, a ukulele it's track. A, That's a thinner it is. ukulele version that we heard <laughs> years later. And it's like way better. In my opinion, it's way better as, as the full band because of what Matt does. Anyways, Moving on to our Lyric of the Week. Lyric of the Week this week comes... Am I reading this right? By, from my neural... Uh-oh, Paul. It's evacuation. Oh, God, help us. It's like We had to get to this song at some point. We did. So here it is, Evacuation. This is the chorus? No, uh, this is like the pre-chorus, I think. Um, okay, talk to me. Ah, uh, this is <laughs> the one of those songs. He the side. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah. um, it's a Matt song, right? <clears throat> Matt's, Matt music, Ed lyrics. Yeah. You know, uh, it's a song about change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's Eddie telling us that, by the way. Mm-hmm. A lot of momentum, obviously. Uh, Eddie said that uh, he couldn't sit down and write 
music to it he couldn't write lyrics to it so that was when he'd take it in the car and just go for drives the, the open road thing so felt like i was evacuating the theory behind the song which i've probably done four times already is getting out of a situation rearview mirror might be the same song but it's time to make a change it's a song about change awesome in principle <laughs> uh i i just think that that you know this particular song it, it was better as rearview mirror i guess you know um that doesn't mean that it doesn't have any merits i know you're a fan of it uh, I, I don't love it but i do like it i don't even know if i can go that far <laughs> i do think though that over time it's become at least listenable for me i mean there, there was a time where it was like i would literally skip it as sacrilegious as that sounds but uh i what's just the, I, I, what's the I'm, okay hold on this is like a bit of a detour for this segment of the show but what is the best part of the song and what is the worst part of the song the chorus for me by far is what is uh just the, the pre-chorus the chorus, all of that is a turnoff for me um he sounds like he's got the, the vocal delivery it's just everything about it i think uh matt is great i think in the song really but but nothing else really stands out to me as memorable or even um pleasing <laughs> Wow. This is the hey, best. you know what? I, I I adore Pearl Jam. I have every right to say this do. song just doesn't do it for me. Um, that said, though, you know, I mean, let, let's let's actually look at the the lyrics here for a quick second. So uh, I don't know why you had to pick these, but hey, <laughs> we got to get to it at some yeah. point. We got to get to it at some point. Um, you know, you're, you're waiting for a diamond shore to wash your way. Let's put aside your evil. Let's crawl into your face. A vision, vague or not, raising a frightful wake you up. Time for evacuation. It's to me, it's just a, a, a rough sketch of wanting to get out of a situation and not really and, and, and having some difficulty articulating it. And I think it was only starting lyrically to come to fruition with the uh with the chorus um where he just but, says evacuation <laughs> yeah time to take leave of normal fun or formal functions plant seeds of reconstruction you know the feign reluctance i mean that there, there's some content in here that that i think provides some some real sustenance but i don't know um not a fan what can i tell you well okay let me try and parse through this a little bit since i don't hate the song Here's what I imagine he's going for. You have to make the first move. You know, if, if you're able, of course. Engage your agency. You cannot wait for the good things to happen. You cannot wait and hope the bad thing just goes away. You need to actively find your exit and make your way away. And the second line is interesting because it's calling out the bad thing the, or, the, or the bad person out. I like that the subject is naming its enemy. It's bad thing. It's a situation. Uh, to identify it and let you... Um, let it, let it know that, you know, it's holding you back. I like that. There's a confidence there that I like And, and some earlier Pearl Jam songs like Rivi Mira didn't acknowledge or face their bad thing head on. They just spoke about it. They just, they just found a way to escape, um, telling you what was, what the problem was, at least here, the subject is confronting that. So that's a little bit different. And with age comes wisdom. So perhaps he, that this is, you know, part of Ed's journey of, of escaping is he, now he wants to actually acknowledge um, or 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 acknowledge, uh, 
face that problem directly. So once you see your opportunity to leave the bad situation, however, obvious or not, you got to go. You've worked yourself up to this point with self-confidence, acceptance, and direct acknowledgement of the issue. Don't look a gift horse in the mouth. You got to go. So while it's not different, while it's still in the same ball, and he even admits that, as you said in that, in that quote, it's not um, a vastly different song from RVM or any held even gone six years later. Um, it's another escape song. Mm-hmm. At least the wrinkle of confronting the the bad thing head on and knowing and telling it that you know that it is the problem. That's a little bit different. So I appreciate that. So that's all I'm going to say about, about this set of lyrics is that at least it's a little bit different. Although some things like let's crawl into your face. I don't understand what the fuck that means, but uh, <laughs> nevertheless, that is my take. I'm curious <laughs> as to what y'all think about this section of evacuation and maybe the song just in general, but at any rate, let's turn to the next most favorite part of this episode for Paul. And that is live cut of the week. Ready to stand up. Okay. We're halfway done with the song Then we can just check it off in the history books for this podcast. What is the live cut of the week for evacuation? I think, I, I think uh, and this was a painful exercise for me because I I'm had sure to go through a lot of these back in 2000. Uh, I would say Greensboro, North Carolina, August 6th, 2000.
curious what you thought. I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you my take first, but I want to hear your thoughts on this. For me, it was a tight performance. I think considering how the album sounds and how Ed sounds, I think he did it very, very well. It's an incredibly hard song to sing, especially at the end. And the, the funny bit about that, uh, and, I, and I cut it off before you guys heard this, just for brevity's sake, but I'll, I'll, I'll paraphrase. After this point, um, Ed says kind of hello to the audience, and he mentions that Matt wrote the song and that it's it's um it's hard to sing and that maybe it's because traditionally drummers don't like singers so maybe matt just messed with them uh but then he corrects himself and says that uh matt with music and then i wrote the lyrics so maybe i hate myself which is a funny little ed ism if you will but why this performance over others it's been only been played like 20 something times yeah it hasn't been played very often in fact um this particular performance on August 6th, I, I got to go to their website to find out where, where this one It was shows early. Up. It was early. It shows up. May 10th was the first one. Uh, let's see. They, they, they played it May 10th. They played it a little bit in May, some in June. Yeah, that they got warmed up for it, I'd say. But he, mm-hmm. here's to me what what made it stand out. Uh, it was part of the soundcheck, and uh, I thought that was unique because they soundchecked this show with Breaker Fall in My Tree, Crazy Mary, Evacuation, and Rival. And based on the way he introed the song, something told me they really wanted to get this one right, and uh, they did. You know. They really did. I just think it's an incredibly tight performance. I think they're all invested in it as a track, and uh, it sticks for me. It's not a song I enjoy listening to, but if I had to pick a version of it that stands out to me, I'd, I'd say this one is a cut above the rest. I think you make a good point about the soundtrack. It's kind of one of those songs that, and like many Matt songs, can be a little trickier to play. So to have the thought, hey, we've played this song eight or nine times, but let's let's make sure we get it right tonight. For whatever reason, they 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 wanted to get it right in Greensboro. So, hey, I enjoyed it. Paul just shaking his head. That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. Um, that is it for the show, guys. Very jam packed this episode. I do want to acknowledge one thing before we go, and that is something that some of you have actually asked us for. And we've toyed with the idea for a little over a year now, and just hadn't pulled the trigger. Just I don't know. I don't know why we didn't do it. Um, but what we're going to do is we're going to start a Patreon. And uh, not all the details are finalized yet. We will let you know next week what those details are. Mm-hmm. But for those of you who wanted a Patreon from us, you're getting one. Um, and we'll let you know what you can expect as a patron and what the cost is and all that fancy stuff. But um, it'll, be, uh, it'll be fun for all of us. That, that content that comes out and we, uh, we appreciate you guys asking for this stuff. Um, so yeah, you're going to get that if you want it. And, and we are excited to bring it to you. So with that, as we get ready for uh, the first, by the way, this is the start of year three for us, by the way, this episode, Paul. Wow. Last episode was the, would have been the, uh, the two year anniversary of this show. So for all of you who've listened and, and enjoyed and passed this thing around, thank you very kindly. As we enter sure. our third rotation, we are um, indebted to you. We are, we are. So, um, and we will, we will pay that debt 
with killer content in year three. Man, killer content. If that doesn't sell you, I don't know what. (laughs) (laughs) We're getting a little loopy. All right, guys. uh, Thanks again for listening, and we'll check in with you next week. And until you do, you've been listening to The State of Love and Trust. Trust.